What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And here at All of the Above, we have full episodes with super dope guests and looking at multiple headlines in the world of education. And our most recent full episode featured Lorena Herman, a super dope educator out in Florida, discussing what it's like to live within the... Um, the realm of really the the epicenter of these attacks on all things related to our humanity. So definitely go back and check that out. Our next full episode, we've already recorded it. Just I didn't have time to edit it yet because those video episodes take some time to uh, chop up for YouTube and all that stuff. But um, our next full episode will be right here next week featuring prolific author, educator, organizer, Larry Ferlazzo. All right, we're going to talk about student motivation in his new handbook on ways that teachers could help students develop intrinsic motivation for all things related to their learning and their schooling. So that'll be right back at you next week. But this week is passing period where it's just Jeff and myself catching up on things that we weren't able to discuss in our full episodes. These passing periods are much easier to edit and chop up. They're audio only. So if you are if you are new to all of the above, definitely take take a moment to, uh, you know, obviously subscribe and thumbs up and all that good stuff. But also, you know, scroll through the feed and see all the other dope conversations we've had with guests and just between ourselves. Now, Jeff, you are Mr. Super Duper Principal Leader Man, and you have been on sabbatical for the last few months and now I hear you are back at it. So talk to us, man. What's it like? What was the transition back to um back to the education grind? What's that been like? How you doing? All that good stuff. Yeah, man, I am back on the grind officially. And uh, I will say uh it was a short work week for me. So I went back to work on Thursday, uh just Thursday and Friday. And one, it was great to be back with my wonderful colleagues and all these amazing people that I had the privilege of, of working with. I really do um, appreciate the people I work with. And, you know, it's just great to be a part of a, a really strong team. And at the same time, being gone for the amount of time that I was gone for, it feels a little bit like I'm starting a new job. And mm. that, that overwhelming feeling of drinking from a fire hose where so much has changed <laughs> and there's new people have been hired for certain roles. And, you know, there's it's just education moves so fast and there's so much stuff that's different. You know, there was a whole strike <laughs> while I was yeah. gone. You know, it's testing season now. There's, a, you know, it's just all kinds of like things, policies, priorities, messages that are different. And I really was trying to be disciplined while I was out to be out and not, you know, be half working from afar kind of a thing, which was definitely the right call. And also, I'm like, oh, crap, I got a lot, <laughs> I got a lot to catch up <laughs> on. Uh, you know, this is that time of year where at least as administrator types, it is both this year and next year. Like, you know, budget development, strategic planning, all those kind of things are... Uh, either happening or just happened and now the like next steps are going on you know hiring season is here all this kind of stuff so it is uh there's just a lot on the plate you know i'm i'm excited to be back had a great time on sabbatical and also uh happy to be coming back to a job that i enjoy with people i appreciate i love it i love it we we were certainly while you're gone we were those of us out here fighting for educational justice, we're certainly going to go ahead and just solve everything so schools could just be fully uh, healthy, functioning, um, wonderful places for everybody. And then we thought, you know what, if we just solve it all, Jeff's going to come back and not have not have a lot to do. You know what I'm saying? So so we went ahead and left. <laughs> we left some issues on the table for you to help us um, fight for. So, you know, you're welcome. You're welcome, Jeff. Well, I'm glad to hear. It. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank, thank you, thank you. I thought I was going to be coming back to just like rainbows and 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 people skipping through the hallways, to, uh, whistling yeah. tunes of equity. Uh, <laughs> and, and here <laughs> we are tunes. with the same old societal challenges with, we've always had. Huh? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I had to had to save some for you, man. I had to save some for you. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. Well, glad to hear that you had you know a. a 
successful. I don't know uh, what that would mean in terms of sabbatical, but uh, uh, definitely well-deserved sabbatical that um, hopefully gave you some rest and rejuvenation and that you're transitioned back to back to these education streets. You know, it comes at a great time of the school year for me, for classroom teachers. I think for a lot of us, this is our favorite time of the school year because the school year is winding down kind of in Hawaii. And I know for administrators, like you said, it's it's a little bit this year, it's a little bit next year. So that's actually a complicated time for those administrator types, but definitely glad to have you back and um, definitely hoping for a positive spring for yourself and, and everybody out here fighting for a better education system for all. So, so there's that. I myself did not have a sabbatical, but I did have a spring break. Like a lot of folks, I didn't do anything special during spring break, but after spring break, when school was starting back up, I missed the first few days to go up to my hometown of Sacramento. And I got to say, I came back from that really rejuvenated and really feeling great about about a lot of things, about a lot of things. So um, I'm fortunate to be a member of the EdTrust West Educator Advisory Council. I'm also fortunate to be a Teach Plus California fellow. And those two organizations got together with a few other organizations, including uh, Latinos for Education, One Million Teachers of Color Campaign, um, the National Teacher Project, UCLA Center for the Transformation of Schools, and put together a summit in Sacramento to focus on creating a shared vision for diversifying the teaching force and retaining and supporting educators of color who are already out here in these classrooms like myself and others. So um, that summit was the Building Bridges Summit, and that was on Monday. And Jeff, I saw a lot of recent and former guests of all of the above at the summit. The summit was dope. It was, you know, it was policymakers, it was K-12 leaders, it was uh, high, higher education leaders, it was nonprofit folks, it was uh, researchers, all kinds of folks there. And I saw such esteemed all of the above guests as uh, Dr. Travis Bristol of um, UC Berkeley, a big uh, legend and giant in these research streets around uh, educators of color. Uh, so he was he was in the building. I actually had the chance to be on a panel with him, which was super dope. I saw, who else did I see who's been on all of the above? Um, Teacher of the Year, Megan Surreal, friend of the pod, been on the uh, podcast a couple times. Uh, she was definitely in the building. Uh, Teo Enna, who was on our show a few episodes back to talk about early childhood education and kindergarten dopeness. Um, he was there, well, he was there in person, but he, you know, he um, was there via video. And we had, I believe Emma Hippolito was there. I think I saw her across the room. There was a lot of people there. There was a lot of folks there. Yeah. Uh, of course, the um, director of a teacher education program at UCLA. And at my table, we had uh, Dr. Orange, Danikia Orange of UCLA, um, director of the Principal Leadership Institute. So a whole lot of folks who've been on all of the above were in the building. And a lot of folks who I hope will one day be on all of the above. But overall, this it was just a great event, um, developing a shared understanding for like what like what are the causes of our continued and and just ongoing, seeming seemingly perpetual um, lack of educators of color in the workforce. When I say lack of, I mean uh, the gap between like students of color and, and teachers of color. So here in California, so the summer was California focused. So those of y'all who aren't you know familiar with capital uh, with California. So I grew up in Sacramento. That's the state capital, first of all. And um, in California, you know, the students, the percentage of students of color in California schools is like really high, like something like 76 percent thereabouts of students in California are students of color. Um, but the majority of teachers in California, still the majority is uh, majority white teachers. That's something around 60 percent. So there's this, this big gap between how many are the proportions of students of color and the proportions of teachers of color. And myself as a you know black male educator, I didn't have any black male teachers at all, like when I was in the K, K through 12 system. So I'm uh, trying to do something to, to make sure that the teaching profession reflects the, the, the diversity of our wonderful state of California. Um, that's what this was all about, man. And I left there feeling really rejuvenated, really, um, really positive about the work that all these different groups are doing and seeing us all be able to get on the same page around this. Because a lot of folks are, a lot of organizations, a lot of in, uh, individual folks are doing great work around around this issue, but they're doing it in their own little realms and arena. So being at, being able to like literally at my table at the summit, like I was there, you know, classroom teacher, there's another classroom teacher there. There was the director of the Principal Leadership Institute. There was the president of the California uh, Commission on Teacher Credentialing, president of California Federation of Teachers was there. Um, another individual who's, um, who works for the uh, One Million Teachers of Color campaign were in the building. Some 
county office administrators were in the building and like just all at my table. So being able to be at the table and have these conversations across folks who each work in different areas of education and create that kind of shared idea of like, what can we do about this issue? Like it was really dope. So shout out to everybody at Teach Plus, shout out to everybody at Trust West and all the other orgs who put this on. And um, I'm always thankful, Jeff, like to be a classroom teacher and be able to share my experience and and have a voice in these conversations and that's one reason why i love our show because here we are um you know speaking to super dope folks every episode and a lot of the folks that we speak to are classroom teachers and making sure that teacher voice is part of this uh, decision making i think is um you know one of the the really important elements of our show and of the summit so yeah man i left that feeling feeling pretty good jeff it was no you know lovely paradise vacation in thailand like you enjoyed but you know, felt pretty good. Felt pretty good. Sacramento's not half bad, huh? It ain't. It ain't. Especially like the weather was great. Like the weather was like remarkable at the uh, on those two days. So not half bad, nice. but no, no paradise. You know, beaches and all that stuff. Like like what you saw. So yeah. 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 Well, I, I have to say, man. Well, I was a little bit jealous uh, when I saw some of the pictures uh, of the cool. The cool people you were getting to hang out with uh, in Sacramento and talk talk shop with, uh, so you know maybe someday I can uh, I can join the cool kids table in Sacramento up there. But um, you know it's it's it is exciting that uh, such an amazing collection of people are getting together to talk about this issue. It is obviously critically important. You know, one of the sort of foundational challenges we are having as a profession overall right now. And, you know, when we think about what it's going to take and what it's going to look like to get over some of the hurdles uh, that we have right now, you know, what's more important? You could argue there's maybe some things like teacher pay or, you know, some of these kinds of issues where, like, if nobody wants to teach, then we're not going to have diversity <laughs> anyways. But it's somewhere near the top of the list, right, of issues that uh, that are core and fundamental to the idea of us providing a high-quality education to every student, right? Because it, we know we have plenty of data to suggest a diverse teacher core with teachers who look like the students that they serve or who share common cultural identity and experience, uh, that that can have positive effects on those students, particularly for marginalized students, but also on all students. And so there's a lot to be gained uh, from us finding progress on this issue. So glad you and, and all the brilliant folks who've been on our show or, or yet to be on our show uh, are on the case. I'm looking forward to a full uh, summary and report. Uh, on Monday, I'll expect it on my desk, uh, 8 a.m., <laughs> Dr. Rustin, before first period. And uh, <laughs> I will stamp solved on the top. <laughs> there we go. Nah, I mean, you know, I obviously came back and, you know, worked the rest of the week in the classroom. But um, but the good folks at those organizations are currently, like, putting together all the all the notes and all the all the things that were shared at the different tables and using that to, to try to help us see what that roadmap for building and supporting a diverse and um, sustainable teacher force looks like. So that report, I don't know if it'll be ready Monday by first period, uh, Principal Garrett, but it will be ready soon, you know, so <laughs> so we could uh, take action and not just not just feel good about the summit, but also uh, have some action steps for what needs to be done afterwards. So so yeah, man, and actually, actually from there, I didn't go straight back to the classroom because so that was all on Monday. On Tuesday, a smaller group of us, just the Teach Plus fellows and some alumni and some Ed Trust West people, um, we actually met with legislators. So like we went to the uh, to the actual Capitol and had like something like 25 meetings in total with uh, different actual policymakers and their staff. And, you know, just advocating for all things dope in education, all things that we talk about on this show. So not just diversifying the teacher workforce and, and pipeline, but also, you know, helping advocate for improvements in school climate and uh, recognition of teachers' ongoing needs and more culturally responsive and anti-racist uh, curriculum and materials and a whole lot of stuff that we we're advocating for. So that was like Tuesday, like walking around Sacramento, going into all these different offices, doing all that great stuff, which is also really empowering and, and felt really good to directly address like policymakers and their staff around these issues. But then Wednesday was 
back to the classroom just in time for testing. We had our testing, our, our um, statewide testing started on Wednesday at our school. So I made it back just in time for that, Jeff. So, you know, I know that's your favorite aspect of education. I know that's your favorite. I mean, that's what we're all about here at All the Above. We wish we could just have more tests and make them even more, you know, high stakes. So, you know, I made it back in time for that. So, you know, don't, don't worry, AOTA fam. We're all about that high stakes testing. The more pressure, the better. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. There was that, Jeff. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, still a lot of work to be done in these education streets. And uh, speaking of trying to build and sustain a robust and diverse um, teaching force, we have some headlines coming out this week, Jeff, about that. Well, not about the diversity part specifically, but just about like the teacher force, like nationally, and what some of the numbers are looking like. We keep hearing about looming teacher shortages. So um, we got some news on that front, Jeff. So so let's get into today's main story for this passing period. Uh, what do we got? What do we got? Yeah, well, we got a fascinating story, Manuel, and it's, it's a little bit nuanced and complicated. So <laughs> I'm going to try to break it down. Uh, in a way that, that makes sense here. But uh, this, this conversation was inspired by a piece that came out uh, this past week in the 74, uh, which was written by Chad Alderman. Uh, and he originally wrote this piece, published it this week. There was then a correction issued to the piece. So we're going to we're gonna try to make it make sense here. But basically, the article is getting at, overall, I think we all have a sense that like, there's, you know, some level of reason to think that there's a bit of a crisis happening in our profession right now. We see headlines and hear stories about teacher shortages. Those who are in the classroom at, or working at school campuses, I would say more broadly, especially, have felt very directly the, the brunt, the burden of those teacher shortages and substitute shortages over the last few years, some of which was just deeply exacerbated by pandemic and, you know, uh, COVID protocols and all that kind of stuff. But even that aside, the, the you know, having to cover classes, the, you know, having to combine classes or, you know, those sorts of things have been very real, right? So folks are seeing, feeling the impacts of like, there's not enough teachers, vacancies that go unfilled all year, those, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, so this is an issue in our profession. And at the same time, there is some data, some shorter term data, uh, federal data collected from the federal, uh, the U.S. Department of Ed's Title II office that um, shared some data that suggests, you know, there is a bit of a rebound happening in, in terms of people entering teacher preparation programs and completing those programs, that could mean that we are, you know, rebounding in a positive direction and moving towards a better place in terms of a growth in the number of people entering the teacher profession. Now, I will stipulate at the front end, as does the author, it could also mean that just is just a little temporary blip <laughs> on a, you know, on a downward trending graph. Uh, so important to note that, but maybe some reason to think that the kind of doomsday, you know, nobody wants to be a teacher, everything's falling apart, the sky is falling type of narrative, we at least should be questioning or troubling the waters around a bit. So here's a bit uh, what the article talks about. Um, so uh, in raw numbers uh, today, public schools are employing more teachers than ever. Um, and because K-12 student enrollment is down, public schools are actually hitting all-time lows in student-teacher ratios, which is an interesting fact to note uh, next to the idea of a teacher shortage. Um, at the same time, um, we are seeing this national data. It came out late last year reporting data from uh, two years ago um, that the number of people enrolled in teacher preparation programs rose by 6% from 2019 to 2021. Um, teacher, program, uh, teacher preparation program completions have increased a similar amount in that time. These increases are being seen fairly broadly across most states in the union, though not all states. So we are seeing both a increase at the aggregate level, at the aggregate level and an increase 
broadly geographically across the country, both in enrollment and teacher prep and completion. Um, so, you know, this is interesting data, Manuel. It, it, um, it maybe flies in the face of the general feeling that a lot of us have and also uh, suggests that perhaps some of the efforts that have been made, we've talked about um, a few of them over the years, uh, on the show, you know, efforts in states like Illinois or, um, you know, states uh, like Ohio, where they have, you know, they are uh, incentivizing in different ways people to come into the profession. We've talked about crazier approaches to this uh, solution in states like Florida. Shout out to Lorena Herman and all the educators in Florida, but where they're taking the approach that's like, let's just have all the soldiers be, you know, be teachers. Um, but, you know, there are also some good faith efforts being made and maybe this is having a positive impact, right? Maybe we are starting to see a, a rebound. So reason for caution maybe reason for some level of hope what sense excuse me what sense do you make out of this manuel and what implication do you see for you know for this data as a as a current practitioner yeah i'm not gonna lie to you when you first sent me when you first sent me the story i was um when i saw the headline i was like that's there's no way like just you know it definitely the the original headline kind of flew in the face of everything that we've been hearing from you know teacher ed folks about enrollment and about um folks being interested in pursuing a, a career in teaching so i was like I, I i i don't know what to make of this and you know the the author chad alderman he um he tweeted out you know the article and, and in his tweet he said that the number of folks enrolled in teacher prep programs has risen by more than 30 percent since the lows of 2016 so i was just like damn that's a big jump i feel like that is contrary to everything else and i didn't know what to make of it i you know uh part of me was like i just don't believe it but like i'm not going to be that person that like you know sees data and just rejects it offhand or i'm trying not to be that person because we have too many of those people out in the world today who um just like reject even like factual information that's presented right in front of them um but anyways looking at the comments under under his tweet and around his tweet i saw that a lot of folks were pointing out that like the methodology of uh, or how the government defines an enrolled student. Something about that changed like in 2018 or 2019 so that, uh, you know, these numbers were, folks were saying the numbers were misleading. And, you know, one person in particular, Peter uh, Fishman, who's the executive vice president of um, Deans for Impact, was saying like, actually, if you factor in the change in enrollment definition, you'll see that enrollment is actually flat. Like it didn't go up 30% or whatever percent has actually been flat since 2016. So I don't know. Um, you know, they, as you said, they issued a correction to the story and the numbers maybe aren't as, you know, shockingly impressive as original, but still, even if it's flat or even if it's, you know, up 6% since, you know, whatever, um, 6% since 2019, still like that's, that's also kind of surprising to me because we do hear a lot of doom and gloom and we do hear a lot about, you know, just the, the shortage, the current shortage and like just how how dangerous this is going to be when, you know, the shortage gets larger and larger. So if enrollment is flat or, or ticking up a bit, that kind of is surprising to me. And maybe that is good news. Maybe it's good news. But then we see other, you know, other stories or state by state you know, examples. And we see that actually it's, it's, it's still pretty bad. Like this is still not trending in a great direction. So, <laughs> you know, so like, um, one that comes to mind is, is Pennsylvania and, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer po uh, posted a story about the, um, recent certification numbers. And for the first time, um, ever or since they've been measuring this, the state of Pennsylvania issued more emergency credentials than full credentials. So the number of new teaching certificates that were issued in 2022, um, when you, even when you factor in out-of-state folks who moved to Pennsylvania to teach, um, those certificates are just over 5,000. And the number of emergency certified teachers or certificates that got um, issued are over 6,000. And when you look at their, like the trend back since 2011, in 2011, they issued 17,000 teaching certificates, and 2022, they issued only 5,000. So, like, that's not good, man. Like, that's, 
you know, we could debate about just how bad it is. Like maybe, you know, the, the original story in the 74, maybe it's showing us that it's not as bad as we feel like it is. But man, it's still bad, man. This ain't this ain't good, man. This is um this is scary stuff when you look at when you think about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of the teaching profession. Like this is scary stuff and this really came up a lot in conversation in Sacramento at the Building Bridges Summit because it's like you know, students see this. Like students see their teachers like me having to cover other classes. Students see uh teachers scrambling to like deal with it's just all the the challenges of being a teacher, but also working in a situation where there's not enough coverage and also working in that situation where there's not enough coverage and also you're not really being paid well enough to live um, comfortably in the city that you teach. Like students hear about teachers um, either having roommates or having to get an apartment um, or something else because they can't afford to buy their home because even though they are a professional and they went to college and they did everything right, they don't earn enough as a teacher to be able to afford to buy a place in there. And so like students see all this and you know, I think about like, if I were a student and I'm seeing all this, like, why would I want to enter that? So like the, the drop in, in the drop in enrollment in teacher prep programs, I think is something that we need to be really, really worried about or the, you know, and of course, maybe it's not a drop. If you look at just this particular set of years that um, the author of the 74 article points out, but still it's like, it's, it's not good. And that's something that we need to be concerned about because students see the impact of that. And I think that probably if anything, is more disincentive for them to consider ever being a teacher. So, yeah, man, it's worrying, very worrying. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, um, so on the one hand, I am glad that Chad Alderman wrote this piece, and I think it's important, especially when there are so many problems in in the world, it is especially important to acknowledge data when it goes against your sort of popular conception of things like this and you know to, to kind of challenge the notion that like everything is bad right that can be both uh sobering and and helpful so i appreciate that i also as, as you were talking man well you made me think about this just this week i was so i listened to a fair amount of sports talk radio uh when i'm just you know doing chores and stuff around the house or whatnot and I'm listening to this show, and, and they're taking calls from across the country. And this guy calls in, and just like totally quickly, like below the, below the text of the conversation, drops that he's a teacher, but he has a second job at night as a bartender or some, you know, works in service at a, a sports bar. And then goes on to tell the story about all these fans who came in who were like, I don't know, Laker fans or some, you know, some team that um, had a bunch of fans at this bar. And this guy was calling, I believe, from a rural area. I want to say it was like Nebraska or something. But, um, you know, don't, don't quote me on that. But calling from like a rural area. And this guy is a teacher, full-time teacher, who works multiple nights a week at a sports bar to pay the bills and drop that in the conversation. And it was just like, you know, the host didn't jump in and be like, wait, 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 you're, you're a teacher doing yeah. like important work for this country. And, and like, and yet you have to do a second job at night, which means you also have to get up at the crack of dawn in the morning to get to school on time. And like, how are you even vertical and how can we expect you to be as prepared and ready and engaged with your students when you're having to serve beer to people at night in order to pay the mortgage? Uh, and so just that wow. tiny example, right, of like the extent to which it is normalized in our national discourse about, oh, teachers are poorly paid. Teachers, like you said, well, might have to get second jobs. Like this is it just perfectly encapsulated for me the level of accepted disrespect that our profession receives uh, in in many ways, at least, or or the sort of cursory type of respect. It's like, oh, I could never be a teacher. You guys are amazing, you know. I'm like, I'm not a, a you know, didn't do this like yeah. the priesthood, you know, <laughs> not yeah. here to sacrifice, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Anyways, all that to say, I think you made a, an excellent point there, Manuel. And, and this is also something that we shouldn't take our foot off the gas on in terms of addressing. Uh, the teacher pay issue is huge and real. And in our country, 
in our ruthlessly capitalist society. The way that institutions communicate value to people is pay them more, right? There are frilly things on the side, you know, um, coffee machines in the break room and like comfortable chairs and stuff like that. That's nice. We should do those things too. But the real way that we communicate value to people and their work is by paying them more. It's not yeah. even remotely complicated. And, uh, you know, I don't expect that as public employees that we're going to get, you know, unjust, crazy corporate salaries for things. However, I do expect that we as a people who cares about democracy, supposedly, who cares about communities and their well-being, who cares about young people, who cares about the concept of equal opportunity for all, would invest in teachers as critically important laborers in our society and would invest as educators more generally. Because it's not, you know, the teachers, but also the counselors and the speech therapists and the principals and, and the et cetera, right? And like, this is, this is just a huge core issue that we've got to get at, right? The financial yeah. incentives to join the profession and the financial uh, incentives to stay in the profession for the long term. And even with, you know, the small grants and, you know, uh, residency programs and these kinds of things that we're doing that are good and steps in the right direction, it's not enough. And we got to keep the, you know, the pressure on in, in these areas. Um, yeah. And there's there's a huge question still to, you know, to grapple with around um, around work conditions, right? And, you know, is this a job Given the, you know, the article that we're referencing here, it starts off, you know, in a somewhat humorous way, um, but, but, you know, it literally starts off saying flat starting salaries, attempts to ban book, a books, a lack of respect, um, and an all-time low in the percentage of Americans who want their child to become a public school teacher. The teaching profession must be in a state of crisis, right? And then it goes on to, you know, sort of complicate the picture. <laughs> but those yeah. those things that are listed there are, you know, are real things, right? Like we, the, the conditions within which educators are working uh, need to improve physically in terms of the quality of infrastructure at schools and also just in terms of like the structures, like how much planning time folks have and, you know, the type of... Um, opportunities right. for professional development and coaching that people have. And is that support actually good and not just like sucky and you wish you were checking your email instead? Um, like these are the, you know, the kinds of things that help people feel like I, this is a profession that values me and my, you know, intelligence and my ability to do well. And, um, and also, compensates me, you know, fairly for, for my time and my efforts. And so, you know, we do need lots of creative solutions, Manuel, but I also feel like there's some basic stuff that we continue to, to just sidestep or not really address that we can and should address. Sadly, I don't yeah. think our, our unions are going to make that happen. And I don't think, you know, politicians who don't care or whatever are going to make that happen on their own. But I, I'm hoping we can elevate some some voice in other ways, maybe like this conference you just attended that like help drive these issues to the to the front of the conversation. Yeah, um, you know something that I think about as as you mentioned the financial hurdles for being a teacher and that teacher working at a bar or a restaurant at night and then waking up in the morning. Um, to go do his teaching thing and just how many teachers could relate to something like that to having multiple jobs for one I never quite hear that when it comes to police officers like I never run into like a waitress or um, You know in this case a bartender somebody who's like, oh, yeah I'm a police officer during the day and then I do this to cover like I never hear that especially in Los Angeles where they get so much money in overtime and they also get housing subsidies uh, for those who are new to um, the policing profession but anyways anyways um, one thing that a lot of folks who aren't teachers don't really realize is that like it's not just that you are entering a profession where the pay has historically been lower than it should be for um, given your um, education level you're also having to sacrifice money to get into that low-paying profession like you're you're paying for licensure exams you're paying for your teacher ed program you're not getting paid during student uh during, during student teaching so like you're starting off already making a big financial sacrifice 
to be able to be certified to work in this profession that has historically been low paying when compared to um, other professions given education level. So like that, that, er, that first step, you know, somebody brought this up at the summit. I don't remember who, so apologies, but somebody brought up the fact that like a lot of times college students don't really realize until the very last semester, like what they want to do next. So imagine somebody who's like, um, whatever, a, a biology major, they go through all that and they got like one quarter left at UCLA or one semester left at wherever. And they realize because of conversation or because of some experience they had or because of something that they do want to be a biology teacher. Like they don't want to go to grad school for biology. They, they decide, you know, I want to be a teacher and I want to help inspire others to um, be scientists and do all these. Like a lot of times it's too late at that point because then you realize, oh, I needed to apply for a teacher ed program back in December and I needed to sign up for these tests that I got to pay money for because if I don't pass these tests, I won't be able to student teach. And oh, by the way, while I'm student teaching, in most programs, I'm not getting paid anything. And oh, by the way, this is going to be maybe a year, but it might be two years or more, depending on the teacher prep program. So I'm making that financial sacrifice, which I might not have been planning for. So like, think about how many folks we lose at that moment, like at the end of their undergraduate experience, who maybe came late to the understanding or realization that they would be interested in being teachers, but it's like too late and they weren't planning for those financial sacrifices and therefore it becomes untenable. So, oh, well, I'll just work at wherever, whatever. So like something's got to be done for sure about all that. So definitely if we just, just like you said, like institutions reflect um, how they value the, their professions um, by like how much money they spend and, and how much they invest and how much they support and take care of the folks in that institution and certainly, certainly something needs to be done to help streamline the process and help folks, especially, you know, disproportionately, these are teachers of color who are um, facing some of the biggest financial burdens for um, entering the profession. So, and it's not just teachers of color, but of course, um, efforts to help make sure that um, the costs for certifications exams are done. And by the way, this also came up at the at the conference, and I think it's fair for me to say it here because he said it on the panel, but um, Dr. Travis Bristol mentioned like when he was in his uh, teacher credentialing program, um, he was having difficulty with one particular certification exam. And like here he is, this tenured professor at UC Berkeley, one of the you know highest ranked public universities in the world. And like he almost didn't get through uh, his his teaching practice because of this one exam that he was having trouble with. Like, come on now, like the, the quality of these exams or how that translates to your ability to your ability to be an effective educator, like that's something also that needs to be questioned. But just by and large, like we just make this profession so difficult to get um, to get involved in at a time when it's so difficult to sustain yourself once you're in the profession. And students see all that, man. Students in the classroom see that. Students need to see thriving teachers for them to think like that they might even want to be a teacher one day. But also like college students who are exploring all the possibilities of what they want to do after college, like it seems like teaching is one of the most burdensome professions to get into if you're just, you know, a blank slate. I'm a senior in college. I'm about to finish up. I'm about to have my BA. What are my options? Like teaching is one of the more difficult ones to start pursuing. And that's that's a problem, man. That's a problem. We definitely have to do something about that. If we cared for teaching the way society cares for policing, it would be so much easier, man, because it is way harder to be a teacher than it is to be a police officer in terms of like to enter that profession. That's a problem, man. That's a problem. So yeah, yeah, something's got to shake, man. Yep. While you were talking, Manuel, I was pulling up the um, LAUSD um, salary schedule for teachers uh, just to, just to poke around uh, a little bit, and because I you mentioned right, like nowadays, uh, you know, as educators. In many places, you need a master's degree, or it's you know extremely common for teachers to have a master's degree. Uh, LAUSD, and and I'm not saying this to throw shade on the district, but just to give as an illustrative example, um, you will get five hundred and eighty-four dollars annually uh, for having a master's degree. Okay, <laughs> so over the course of your, wow. let's say, 20-year average teaching career. I don't, you know, that's a figure I made up, but let's just say you work for 20 years, okay? We're gonna do a little bit of math right now here on the show, folks, because we're all math people. 
Uh, so let's do 584 times 20. That's $11,680, which will pay for maybe one semester of, <laughs> of your master's program, right? Maybe, if, if, you're, if you're lucky. Um, and so, you know, this, this is just one example. And that's in Los Angeles, right? One of the most expensive cities to live in in the country. I got to ask like, a question about that, Jeff, because I'm not, because I don't, I'm not in LASD, so I don't know their schedule. Are you sure that's per year, not per month? Because I know I in my district. I am sure that what is described, what? I'm literally looking at the LAUSD 2022-2023 salaries for teachers with regular credentials. And on right. the second, so it starts with the salary schedule. And then on the second right. page, it gives... Um, the uh, like sort of additional uh, descriptions of differentials, career increments, etc. Right. So right. it talks about what you get for national board certification, for salary points, master's, doctoral degree. For a master's degree, it says, and I quote, $584 annually. Degree must have been awarded by a regionally accredited What? University. Yes. Now, maybe there's Damn. more... To the equation that like I'm leaving out so that there could be other benefits worked in somehow. But I'm just I'm just saying that's nuts in, in like that ain't the best look that there's ever been. <laughs> that's that's a terrible look. Right. And so. Uh, so now you also as you get more education, you move up in, you know. And yeah, yeah. Points and those kinds of things as well, right? But like the the top schedule or the top salary listed on this entire schedule, which would be your fourth career increment uh, with a doctorate, is listed at ninety eight thousand one hundred seventy six dollars. Now, if you live in I don't know, like rural Nevada or something, that's probably like a great salary, right? If you live in Los Angeles, that's definitely like a you know a solid salary. You're not poor. But you are living in a city where the rent is, you know, where average rents for a one-bedroom apartment are like $3,000 a month. So $98,000 a year, you are living close to check to check, right? And you're saying now, that's top of the top. That's the top of the top. That's the highest wow. salary listed on this schedule. Okay. Now again, there's probably like I'm not an expert in the <laughs> in the yeah, yeah, yeah. collective bargaining agreement in this way, and there's you know there's obviously opportunities to earn differentials and other kinds of things that increase salary uh, beyond that. But this is what we're talking about in one of the most expensive cities in the country, and that's top of the top. Like you have to have been teaching for you know whatever 25 years, right? So that's yeah. the end of your career. Along the way, you know, you're work, you're making significantly less than that. And you know, this this I think drives home the point, Manuel, that we're talking about. That like, yes, um, there's all kinds of things that we can do to improve the sort of like standing, stature, attractiveness of the profession. And one of the things that we must do is continue to push on on this issue because, you know, there is like it's it's hard to look at a salary like ninety eight thousand and and generate deep sympathy, but when you look at the rest of the numbers on this scale, like your beginning teacher making fifty six thousand yeah. dollars a year in L A, like that's a that's a working class wage in Los Angeles, um, or at least very close to it in terms of like no absolutely you have very very limited housing options you're definitely going to have to like double up and you know and that kind of thing which is cool maybe if you're 23 and like you know living that life but if you're 35 and you got you know two kids to feed like what are you supposed to do with that right um like yeah. this is not paying this is why people call sports talk radio in the <laughs> in the night and talk about they got bartend <laughs> after work right because like how are you going to pay the mortgage with that salary so, you know, it is, and this is after a strike with a 6% raise and all that, right? So, you know, we, we got work to do on this front, and I'm glad to see that there's some positive news in terms of growth and people, you know, doing the work to enter the profession, and 
that doesn't mean we should take our foot off the gas on on these issues at all, man. And and you know the these issues that we're talking about are only exacerbated for educators of color who more often than not are not coming from families that can support them or prop them up economically while they're working for free as a student teacher or while they're you know paying off debt for a master's program or those kinds of things. Yeah, man, absolutely correct. And I'm thinking about. Um, a sitcom uh, episode that I watched and one little thing that was happening in there, they were like trying to um, buy back an item that they accidentally sold during a yard sale or something. And the person was like charging them a crazy amount. And he said, I, I recognize sentimental value when I see it. Like he knew they were desperate to get it back for sentimental reasons. Therefore, he was overcharging them. And I think, think about how that relates to teaching in the sense of like what you said earlier about um, you, some, you, you use some kind of comparison about like service and, and doing it because it's what's right or whatever, like the sort of the moral call of teaching. And I think for so many years, that's been one of the factors that has contributed to folks entering the profession, even though they know uh, all the challenges that are there because it's in their heart. They want to serve. They want to uplift. They want to help educate. They want to help create a better world. And that's, I think that draw to teaching plus the historical um, fact that like, Teaching was a profession that was uh, primarily for women, and therefore it was, it was never quite valued monetarily uh, like other professions. Like you combine that, and I think that just helps explain, at least for me, it helps uh, make sense of why this problem has been so persistent of underpaying teachers because the system knows like they're going to teach regardless because their hearts are in it for a lot of folks. Like their their hearts are in it, so they're going to be willing to to go ahead and power through, even though they even though we treat them like crap. And also, like historically, it's been women, so it's like obviously in our patriarchal society, there's not going to be money put into something where historically mostly been women. So like, yeah, man, well, that is untenable, unacceptable. The fact that we many of us teachers are called to this this profession because we want to help out our, our youth and help create a better tomorrow is no excuse for underpaying us. And all the historical issues around patriarchy and sexism and capitalism that has resulted in the teaching profession of public schooling being the under-resourced institution that it is, like none of that is acceptable. Like we got to put, again, man, like I just... I think about the military, I think about the police, I think about how many dollars are are uh, given to the Pentagon every single year, even when we're not at war, even more money than they even ask for. And it's just like, damn, if only we value teachers like we value the freaking military, maybe we'd actually see some spending, maybe we'd actually see some investment, maybe we'd actually see some recognition for teachers who are instrumental in upholding a democracy, instrumental in the health of our, our nation and protecting our freedoms. Man, if only we were regarded the same way or similarly in terms of money and investment as police and military, because... Damn, if I see a lot of money going somewhere, it's right there. And um, some of that needs to be coming over here to the teaching profession. So, yeah, I know I, I know we're speaking to the choir here, Jeff, our all of the above family who's listening to this episode. I know everybody out here cares about education. Everybody who follows our show cares deeply about education, cares deeply about issues of equity, cares deeply about creating a more humanizing school system. Um, that really recognizes the the brilliance of our young people, our young people of all backgrounds, our our, um, our future, man. And yo, we gotta, we definitely gotta keep on this. I'm hoping to see um, some steps in the right direction. Another thing I mentioned at the at the summit was I, I've been in the classroom for 19 years. 19 years ago, when I first started, I had students like, "Wow, you're my first black teacher. I never had a black teacher." And 19 years later. As I'm teaching, I'm still getting that from from students. Um, wow, you're my only black teacher I had. Actually, come to think of it, I haven't had a black teacher. Um, we have a few other black teachers at my school site, but if, if the student's not in their academy, then I'm a, I'm all they're getting in terms of a black male teacher. So, like, 19 years later, we're still still a lot of work to be done. And I don't know if I have another 19 years in me in the classroom, um, but I'm hoping the next 19, we could actually make some progress on these numbers of teachers entering the profession, make some progress on diversifying the teacher workforce, make some progress in creating a more humanizing school system that helps students tap into their own brilliance and tap into all that this wonderful world of ours has to offer. So, man, we got to make some progress, man, because shoot, we might be recorded all of the above 19 years from now. 
I don't know. But I sure hope by then we could look back and be like, damn, remember remember when we was talking about how there wasn't, weren't enough educators of color? Remember that? Oh, yeah, that was crazy. That was way back then. Woo, good thing we got past that. I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, Jeff. Before we get out of here, is there anything else? Um, anything else that we should mention or anything like that? No, man. I, I think uh, we solved all the problems as usual. Solved on all the above. Uh, nothing, nothing but solutions. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, man. I think um, the only thing, other thing I have to say is uh, I have jury duty this this coming week. Okay. And I hope I don't. I hope I don't get selected. And I feel guilty as a former government teacher for saying it. <laughs> hey. But I need some thoughts and prayers out there in the, in the universe for me, Manuel. Yeah. Uh, don't pick juror number me. <laughs> I hear that. Oh, as educators, we do so much in the name of public service. So, so much. So, um, although it's very important and very important for folks to... Um, you know, for good folks to sit on juries, for good folks to be part of this um, very flawed justice system that we have. It's also important to recognize some good folks like you, Jeff, already are doing so much for public service that like um, doing something like jury duty just as you get back from work and all that uh, might be asking a bit much, might be asking a bit much. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, next time we have a passing period, we'll we'll have to hear about whether or not you got called up but next week next week will not be a passing period folks next week will be a full episode with prolific teacher author community organizer a uh, whole bunch of hats um larry Ferlazzo. all right so you de definitely don't want to miss that uh he'll be talking about his new handbook about um ways that teachers classroom teachers could help students develop um, intrinsic motivation for their own education and um, all things. So definitely don't want to miss that. We already filmed that one and it'll be coming at you next week. It would have dropped today, but I didn't have time to edit it because um, the Building Bridges Summit and Capital Day and all the great stuff that um, I got to experience up there in Sacramento. So folks, um, definitely uh, we want you to have a fantastic week. Definitely, if you are still listening, shout out to you. Um, but please, please, please consider writing us a review um, so that we can get get those reviews up because a lot of folks who are out there working in these uh, education streets um, I think could benefit from some of the conversations we have here on all of the above so your support your reviews your uh, thumbs up your five stars all that stuff goes a long way to helping us show up in those algorithms and charts and all that stuff for um, perspective AOTA family members out there. And also remember AOTAshow.com for merch, for previous episodes, for ways you could support this two-person operation and all that good stuff. So definitely check that out. And I believe that's it for now. So now, well, remember. We got one, one final oh, yeah, thing, man. One final thing I forgot. It's, uh, it's, it's yep. April 15th. Uh, used to be known as Tax Day. Uh, what used it should be. be known more properly as is uh, Jackie Robinson Day. Happy Jackie Robinson yep. Day, everybody. Yeah, for sure. Uh, happy Jackie Robinson Day to everybody. I wore my uh, Jackie Robinson jersey to school yesterday since I do teach at Jackie Robinson's high school or the high school that he attended. Uh, I got two Jackie Robinson jerseys. I got a, a, a Dodgers one, even though I'm not a Dodgers fan. I'm not really a baseball fan, so it's all good. And then I got a, a UCLA Bruins Jackie Robinson jersey because, of course, he went to the world's number one public university and uh varsity in multiple sports and um one of them being baseball of course so um i got that one too if i go anywhere today i might wear that although the kings are playing tonight so i might have to wear some kings gear decisions decisions we'll see what's up all right folks thank you for joining us this week for this week's passing period we'll be back at you next week for the full episode of all of the above all right so remember we love y'all and it's time for you to go ahead and get to class <laughs>